son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's a newsy Thursday on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. We've got three issue one stories to lead off today's discussion. And the first is about growing opposition. We've talked in the past about how the Ohio Chamber of Commerce endorses the plan to end the majority rule in deciding constitutional amendments. Shame on them being at odds with the power of the voters. But it turns out a lot of business owners have a different take, Layla. Who are they? Indeed, a group of business leaders and corporate executives signed an open letter opposing issue one. And that cohort includes Jenny Brittenbauer, who's the founder and chief creative officer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, Thomas Hoagland, the former CEO in Hun- and Huntington Bank, and John Pepper, the former CEO of Procter & Gamble. It also included several notable Clevelanders like Ron Richard, the president and CEO of the Cleveland Foundation, James Ratner, Charles Ratner, and Ron- Ronald Ratner, who are all currently directors with the Max Collaborative, and Vanessa Whiting, the chair of the Metro Health Board and president of AES Management Corporation. The the argument that they articulated in, in the letter is that business depends on the health and stability of our democracy to thrive, and that they're just very concerned about the growing attacks on our democracy. They said, quote, in an act of desperation, the Ohio legislature overreached and rushed through a constitutional amendment proposal that would upend Ohio's process for amending its constitution In a statement, Pepper called issue one a misconceived and dangerous last minute proposal. And he said that issue one um, passing would make it harder to convince workers to move or stay in Ohio, which we've talked about so much on this podcast. The the Leadership Now Project, which I I believe is gathering, has gathered these endorsements for this letter and, and released it, said they've been hearing from more and more business owners who want to sign it and add their 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 uh, opposition to it. Yeah, make no mistake. If you don't oppose this, you stand on the side of anti-democracy. What Frank LaRose and Matt Huffman are trying to do is amass power in the gerrymandered legislature and choke out the power of the people to change their government, change their constitution, change their destiny. And I, I'm glad to see business owners rising up because when the chamber of commerce came out and rubber stamped it because it's in the pocket of the legislature they all do business together it was it was terrible you know this is the chamber of commerce for the entire state saying yes let's give up the power of the people this is great news i hope we hear from more you get the sense this is a a growing movement and i i if more sign on we'll do another story and we'll talk about who they are it'd be nice if if you started to see 
things like Intel speak up, right? They're building a giant plant here. And if they came out and said, you know, we vote for democracy, what a statement that would make. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cuyahoga County is trying to scrape together money for all sorts of needed projects. And now comes the bill for the special election. Laura, how much will it cost Cuyahoga to stage the August 8th election? $3.2 million. So this is coming from the County Board of Elections Director, Anthony Perlotti. He's estimating that the the cost that it's going to take for the county's 970 precincts. It's going to be $3,250 each to print the ballots, pay postage for mail-in ballots, and provide the extra staffing. And this is the first time residents are using new voting machines, so that can make it a little trickier. And costs might increase if voter turnout is greater than expected. And we know that Republicans, the ones that are coming up with the playbook for how to run this campaign, think it'll be pretty average. They're guessing between 8 and 12%, I believe. But they're saying, nope, this is going to be higher because of all of the fanfare and all of the fervor around it. So this isn't going to be as small as last year's August election when we just voted on a primary for gerrymandered districts. So he's saying he doesn't think the $15 million proposed in the Senate budget will be enough. And he hasn't seen that money yet. Well, originally they were talking about putting up 20 million and they spiked that. That was supposed to be part of the bill that created this bogus election and they took it out. And now they're, they're saying, well, we'll make sure everybody's whole. Look, they love sticking it to the cities and the, and the urban areas. And so I won't be surprised if this does not become a bill for Cuyahoga County, which is dead set against this kind of thing. And you know, the, uh, Go ahead. We just got the email from the Board of Elections yesterday, I believe, about like the primary deadline for September. And you're like, this poor Board of Elections, we've talked about it before on this, but they're forced to hold an August election. They've got a September primary that comes up for municipal elections. I mean, this is this is just sticking it to them. You, that's exactly the right phrase. We don't want to scare people either. They still fill out paper ballots, even though there's new machines. It's You're still going into a booth and filling out a, a paper ballot. And go. a reminder that you can request your ballot now if you want to vote early. You won't get it until they're allowed to send them out. But go ahead and send in your request so that they can start processing those. I did get a note from somebody yesterday who said they talked to the Board of Elections and They've determined the window between when they get their ballots and when they have to get them back is fairly tight because they've been working on the wording. Uh, So people are a little nervous about that. Um, So maybe they want to go to the polls. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Finally, Ohio is spending money to advertise the existence of the special election. Lisa, how much? Who gets the money? And do we trust Frank LaRose and company to do this honestly? The Ohio Controlling Board approved spending $322,000 to advertise the August 8th election on State Issue 1. This will help to pay for publishing legally mandated information for three consecutive weeks in one newspaper, at least one newspaper in each of the 88 counties. So this would include the ballot language, the official arguments for and against State Issue 1, and um, Ohio constitutional amendment that was passed in 1974 by voters describes this whole process of proposing amendments. Um, the Democrat representative from Westerville, uh, Mary Lightbody, 
asked, has Secretary of State Frank LaRose considered online advertising? Are we not in the modern era? She says, I know very few people who subscribe to newspapers, sorry to say. And she said that they might miss this important information. And that's very much a concern. And I sat and wondered, I thought, is there a paper in all 88 counties? I mean, that was the question in my mind. And um, just kind of Back to the earlier story, um, the Ohio Senate said that they did earmark $15 million in, a, in their proposed budget to pay for the election. But like you said, Chris, it used to be twenty. So. Well, and it's not approved yet. So we'll see if it actually gets in there. The, the Who writes, the you may not know the answer to this, but who writes the arguments for and against? Because let's face it, Frank LaRose is putting his thumb on the scale. The language of the ballot is cockeyed because it uses the word elevate when this does anything but elevate. So... You know, if you want this to be bogus, you could write a really positive pro argument about protecting the Constitution from outside interests and all the nonsense they say, and then have the arguments against be bogus instead of the robust, meaty arguments that people have made against it. I don't trust this process at all. Well, and I, I'm guessing that the Ohio Ballot Board maybe does that language, but that's actually a very good question. And, and I'm sure they're, they're mandated to be legal neutrally, the wording, but we've seen that that's gone out the window. These guys have cheated and lied every step of the way. I mean, every step has been dishonest about this process. The only time you've seen any honesty is when Frank LaRose has been talking when he didn't think people were paying attention and he said, this is all about abortion. I mean, it's this. So I don't, I don't trust this at all. We're going to have to count on media outlets like us to give the truth to people so they understand what's really going on here. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Layla, we now know how Cuyahoga County Executive Chris Renane wants to pay for the new jail. What's his plan and how does that mesh with his previous statements about paying for the jail? Renane will soon be introducing to county council legislation proposing to pay for the new jail by extending a quarter percent sales tax for another 40 years beyond its current 2027 expiration date. It would keep Cuyahoga County sales tax rate at 8%, which is the highest in the state, and it wouldn't be subject to voter approval. This is going to hit the council agenda along with legislation to buy Ronane's preferred site for the, the new jail in Garfield Heights at a, at a purchase price of $38.7 million for 72 acres out there. They're, they're saying the total cost of buying the land and building, up, building the jail on that site would be around $790 million. Now... The elephant in the room here is that throughout Ronane's campaign to become county executive, he strongly suggested that he would not seek this tax extension without support from the public. And how does the public typically express its support for a tax? They vote for it, right? So former executive Armin Budish had attempted to extend the sales tax permanently for exactly this purpose, to pay for the jail without voter approval and Ronane back then cut him down to size. In a tweet, he said, a jail proposal without public input, a sales tax hike neither vetted nor voted on, no community meetings on property tax increases. County exec Budish needs to address all of these things as he proposes his biennial budget. No more backroom deals. There's a better way. Hashtag new Cuyahoga. And I'm not clear on what a, what better way he was suggesting back then, because now he's proposing to go about it pretty much the exact same way. 
is his campaign manager was also quoted in an idea stream story from then saying that Ronane, you know, quote, supports a voter referendum to decide the sales tax extension to pay for the new jail proposal. I mean, later in that same story, it said that Ronane stopped short of calling for a public vote. But his campaign manager was certainly speaking for him loud and clear on that. And, you know, it just seemed that his stance on seeking public support began to soften after we had commissioned a poll that showed the public was was kind of ambivalent about whether they would support a tax. It was like 42 in support, 44 strongly against, and then a bunch in the middle who, who weren't sure. Um, yesterday, Caitlin Durbin asked him squarely about what appeared to be this 180 from his position on, on the campaign trail. And a spokeswoman told her that his position against the tax extension without public support was connected to very specific circumstances back then. That was when we were talking about a permanent extension to fund building a jail on a toxic site. And that deal wasn't right for the community, she said. This tax extension will only take us to 2067. It's not permanent. <laughs> and it's yeah, for a is, different jail site. Uh, so that's a horse of a different color, apparently. Yeah, that that is splitting hairs in a ridiculous Absolutely. manner. Look, we we were convinced when this we started hearing about this, that he was going in this direction a while back. And we were convinced that he had said, I won't do it without a vote like his opponent, Lee Weingart, had. And we went and looked everywhere. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, he never said it. He never said, I will put this to a vote of the people. He he like you said, all of his words and actions sounded like that's what he would do. But he never said it. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm of two minds on this. I mean, there is we're working on a story that's going to show people there is no more capacity for public funding in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. This is it. This is the only source of funds they can tap for a capital project. And they desperately need the new jail. We, we've reported on this. And so I wish what Chris would have done is come out and said, look, I know what I said during the campaign. I know I led you to believe there'd be a full public debate about this. But in my duties, I've got to build this jail. We are making people suffer. The only place I can go because my predecessors have sucked up all the money is this. I mean, they wasted more than $100 million last year in slush funds in the MedMart. They, they, they've squandered money on all sorts of dopey things. And now there is no money left. But he didn't do it. I'm also disappointed when he was with us on Monday. We asked him, how are you going to pay for it? And man, he he did everything but say he should have just said, I'm not ready to tell you yet. Instead, he, he made it sound like I don't have that set yet when clearly, clearly he did. I think this is the thing that it just it irks me so much when politicians come across as just telling people what they want to hear. I felt like he was just telling us what he want, what we wanted to hear. He was just telling the public what they wanted to hear when he was on the campaign trail. I mean, at a city club event, he said, inflation is going up. People are hurting. We need to be real careful about a permanent sales tax on a billion dollar spend given the context of the climate we're in. For most people, a 40-year tax extension might as well be a permanent tax extension. Well, Split it's lifetime those hairs for me. now is the biggest <laughs> load of crap I've heard. Well, here's the other thing. We're, we're going to look into this. I don't understand why it's 40 years instead of 25 or 30. I'm, what I'm most worried about is, you know, we all know the Hasms have been knocking on doors trying to get hundreds of millions of dollars for their stadium, and it's not there. Did they go 40 years to build in extra capacity 
to do stuff like that so that without any voter approval, we're, we're getting committed. Our taxes are getting committed to more big stadiums that people would never, would never sign up for. Um, we got to look at why it's 40 years. That seems way beyond what is needed here. Yeah. We, I want to see the numbers. I want to see the actuarial tables and, and see what are they building in? Because if they're building in extra capacity to spend more money on our backs, that's sleazy. Right. And there currently there is no other way to pay for that stuff. So, yeah, that that's that sounds that sounds par for well, the course. No, there is a way to pay for it. You go to the voters and you convince them of the need for a jail and get them to approve bonds. But you have to get voter approval to do that. And there's no way the voters are going to vote for a tax. Look, Lee Weingart said it. I won't raise this tax. This is this is a tax increase. Don't let anybody say differently. That tax was going to expire in a couple of years. So we were done paying it. We weren't going to have to pay it beyond that date. Now we're going to have to pay it for 40 years. That's more taxes coming out of our pocket. If they try that double speak like Armin Budish did about how this isn't an increase in its extension, that's just not. Well, you know, here's the thing, though. I, I just kind of want to, you know, I've been thinking about Lee Weingart since we we included him in the story yesterday. It's kind of easy to be the guy who didn't win and still say the right thing. <laughs> so, like, if he if he had won the election... He'd be in this situation. Sure, maybe he would take it to, to the voters, but they wouldn't probably not approve it. And then what would he do with the jail situation? Well, his plan with the jail was completely different. He was going to he was going to deal with jail, too. I mean, he had a plan that was different. Whether it would fly, I don't know. But I, he, I look, it didn't was, sound like it was going to solve the problems at the jail. But he was the anti-tax guy. I don't I don't I, I think he put pressure on Ronane by saying this goes to the voters. Look, he didn't just say, I'll put it to the voters. If Budish and company would have adopted it, he was going to go to the voters to rescind it. I mean, it, it was, it was pretty strong. Look, he's in a, he doesn't have a choice. This is the only way to pay for the jail and he has to pay for the jail. So he shot his mouth off in the campaign and now he's paying the price, but he should be honest about it instead of splitting hairs and saying, well, no, I opposed it for the, the, the toxic jail site not for the overall jail site. That's bogus. So That's insincere. not what he said. Can I just you know, point, so, point out here that we have the highest sales tax in Ohio. And and I don't know that any politician has ever been like, yes, we're actually going to end the tax. Have we ever had a tax that people promised to end that, that actually ended? I mean, I guess yeah. sometimes we get a vote like the sin tax, but it never really goes away. He should have a press conference and have an honest conversation about why he's doing this and acknowledge that this flies in the face of what he led us to believe when he was running. You're listening to Today in Ohio. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. 
Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-patrollable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We've noted previously that Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman is not a fan of subsidized child care, even though all of our reporting has shown this is good for the business and good for population. His budget proposal reveals his level of distaste. Laura, how much is it? Yeah, there's a whole lot of cuts. The um, Groundworks Ohio came up with a total of $366 million total that they took out of either the DeWine proposal or the House proposal. Because remember, everybody comes up with their own budgets and then they have to mesh them all together by June 30th to pass them. So Ohio already has one of the lowest thresholds in the country for publicly subsidized child care, basically how much money your family can make uh, when you can't to get help from the government. So currently our standards are 142% of federal poverty level. It's $42,600 per year for a family of four. You have to make under that to get help for childcare. DeWine wanted to raise it to 160% of the poverty line, but, and, and his, you know, when he presented his budget, he said, the plan reflects our obligation to make sure every Ohioan has the tools to succeed. Let's start with the kids. Well, and that would still be way stingier than a whole lot of states. For example, South Carolina, which you don't think of as a generally progressive, like education heavy state, 300% of the poverty level, that's their limit. The Senate rejected DeWine's plan. They want to raise it only 3% to 145% of the poverty line, which I, I mean, is that really going to make a huge difference? Um, a couple of other things, they want to basically cut the step up to quality system. That's those star ratings you'll see on those child care centers from one to five. They're saying you don't have to participate if you have less than 50% of kids in publicly subsidized roles. And it was at 25%. So and a bunch of other cuts, basically just not helping out families get the care they need. The This isn't a surprise, but with DeWine and the House feeling a bit differently. You, th- you think this will change back some, that this is just a negotiating tactic? I hope there's a compromise here. I mean, they've got to go back together. And I hope that the House and DeWine get some of their say in. I just, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of back ba- backbone from Mike DeWine. Uh, a whole recently. lot. Seen none. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was being generous there. I'd like to point out that Ohio ranks 29th among states in the Annie E. Casey Foundation's annual Kids Count Survey. So we're not doing great in helping our kids. And uh, the, the kindergarten readiness is, is like 79% of kids are not ready for kindergarten in Ohio. If you have more kids in childcare, you will have more kids ready for kindergarten. All right, you're listening to Today in Ohio. This is a this next one is a one that I think will get lots of discussion. How has the inappropriately named Ohio Parents Bill of Rights been changed in such a way that makes the LGBTQ community more wary? Lisa 
House Bill 8, which is also called the Parents' Bill of Rights, advanced through the House Primary and Secondary Education Committee Tuesday. It was supposed to go to the House floor for a full vote, but uh, Republican leaders put it on hold until at least next week, maybe because they expect some fireworks here. But among the things, it requires public school districts, charter and STEM schools to notify parents of sexuality content and disclose learning materials that include such content. Now, that this is a change of wording. They were saying, um, what was the old wording? Uh, they were saying sexually explicit content. That was the original phrase, but they've amended that to sexuality content and also included the words gender ideology in the definition. Um, but the big one is that parents must be notified of students asked to identify as a gender that doesn't match their biological sex. There's a long description on what that means. And they say that if they're they have to be notified if there are any other changes to that student. It's mental, emotional, or physical health. Trans Ohio, which is a transgender rights group, is worried about discrimination and harassment that HB8 does not protect students from. She says Ohio educators are really not experts in child psychology and cannot diagnose gender dysphoria. She said sharing this information without the student's consent can be traumatizing and even dangerous. Honesty in Ohio education Education, a coalition of teachers unions, the NAACP and others. They say they're very concerned about the speed with which House Bill 8 is advancing, especially this amendment that is basically results in a forced outing of a child to his parents. And uh, Cynthia Peoples, the founding director, she pointed out that most of the testimony against in this bill was opposed to House Bill 8. I, the, the only... What strikes me about this, though, is that you're informing the parents about things that are happening in the school with their children. And don't the parents have a right to know what's going on in the schools with their children? I mean, you have, they go to parent-teacher conferences, and they, they want to know, and the parents are ultimately responsible for raising their kids. So what's wrong with the schools communicating these kinds of things to parents? Well, because a lot of parents don't treat their trans transgender or queer children very well. They kick them out. They they might, you know, physically or emotionally abuse them. I mean, you know, I, a lot of kids that, you know, this is something that they feel they can't bring to their parents. So they talk to a trusted school counselor or teacher and tell them about it with the thought that they, they won't tell their parents. So I, this is, it really is forcing kids to be outed. And I want to point out that this term of parental rights is very insidious. Right. I mean, it sounds like, oh yeah, parents have rights, you know, to do whatever they want with their children, but that's really not what this right. is. The, the, the name is completely bogus. It's part of the, it's like Jerry Serino's college bill right. where he's saying it's about free speech when it's the exact opposite it's going to clamp down on speech that's one of the playbooks from the gerrymandered legislature is to name things the opposite of what they stand for it's like saying that issue one is about protecting the constitution from outside interests when it's outside interests who are putting all the money in to change the constitution it's just up is down you're listening to today in ohio East Cleveland's former police chief already charged with felonies that cost him his job, is charged with a bunch more. Wait, well, this guy sounds like he was just robbing Peter to pay Paul. What are the accusations? Yeah, the former chief, Scott Gardner, just got hit with another 11 charges. The indictment handed up by a grand jury Tuesday accused 
Gardner of writing thousands of dollars in checks he knew wouldn't clear from a police union account to his private security company that employed off-duty police officers. Prosecutors also said Gardner pocketed money from the Fraternal Order of Police's Lodge 39 account. The prosecutors wrote in court filings that the Ohio Department of Taxation started investigating Gardner's security company, which is called Constant Protective and Consulting Services, and they found that Gardner had withheld more than $200,000 in state taxes from employees from 2013 to 2019, but he didn't pay that money to the state. He also filed tax returns that the prosecutors say underreported how much he owed in taxes. After learning he was under investigation, Gardner filed amended tax returns that reported the correct amount, and he told officials that he hired a company to do his taxes for him and that they failed to pay the right or the right amount and that that must have been a clerical error. But apparently the employees of that company told the investigators they can't actually file taxes on behalf of a business, and Gardner didn't hire them to do that. So... That makes two dozen felony charges for Gardner, and he was charged earlier last August with theft in office and failing to pay state sales tax for several years. If he gets convicted of all this, he's going to spend a decent amount of time in prison. It's just shocking how badly run and how badly managed that police department has been. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Another police officer, this time a police sergeant, is charged with a crime over something he did not do. What's the case, Lara, against Sergeant Antoine Wells? Yeah, he didn't help, according to prosecutors, when a, a colleague of his, an officer, was involved in a shooting outside Belinda's nightclub. This is in the Kudal neighborhood in January. Wells is 38, a 10-year veteran of the force, and he was charged Thursday in municipal court in Cleveland. So he was working at this nightclub in an off-duty capacity. And while he was inside listening to his police radio, another officer was requesting help for a shooting outside, but he didn't help. And this had begun as an altercation between two patrons at the club, spilled into the street. One of the guys fled. The assailant fired at him, struck him in the head. And another police sergeant who was on duty and parked outside saw the shooting play out. He ordered the suspect to drop the gun and ultimately fired his own pistol striking the suspect. Everybody's still alive from this. But yeah, you're you're there to provide security. A, you know, an office, there's, there's obviously a need for security and officers helping and you don't go help. Well, when a police officer is working off duty, they're working as a police officer yeah. in an off duty capacity. It's not like they're a security guard. They're hired and they're a police officer. I just don't remember anything like this previously in Cleveland where police officers charged for not acting when they were supposed to act. It's an interesting case. It'll, it'll, I'll be watching how a jury deals with this. Yeah. And it's interesting that it is a jury and it's going to be, you know, peers of his, but I feel like a lot of time we talk about police actions and it's all going through the city and through the process and there's, you know, the mediators and the arbitration. And this is just the public getting to say whether he did right or wrong. Unless he pleads out because it is a misdemeanor. You're listening to today in Ohio. This last one is a mythbuster. About a month ago, readers came at us pretty hard, asking why we were ignoring the crisis of children disappearing into sex trafficking in unfathomable numbers in Cleveland. Some other media were reporting it, but we didn't find anything to back it up. The rumors look like they got under the skin of the Cleveland police, though. What did they do to debunk them, and what is the real story? Lisa 
Cleveland Police Chief Wayne Drummond held a press conference yesterday to clear up these reports about the number of missing kids that actually made national news and was all over social media. Uh, He says that the numbers are up 20% from last year, but he has said that, you know, all but about 50 of the kids that were reported missing have returned home. Um, in the first two weeks of May, they said there have been 30 reports of missing children, but he says these numbers can be really misleading. He says most cases involve habitual runaways. Some of them return home and the parents fail to notify police that they've returned. He says there's absolutely no indication of kids being targeted for human trafficking. He says they do investigate every missing persons case. They call in the feds and the FBI if it looks like it is an abduction. He says every Cleveland police district has missing persons detectives who work, well, one per district, and they work with the County Human Trafficking Task Force if they if they need to. But he did say to parents, he says, you got to know what your kids are up to, you know, both, you know, in person and online. And he says they really have a hard time getting photos of missing kids. He says parents should provide recent photos. And he said they you maybe should consider going to the Ohio Bureau of Motor Vehicles and get their kids photographed and fingerprinted. Yeah, the story that circulated a while back didn't pass the sniff test, and I was surprised at how heavily reported it was. It just it, there wasn't anything to back it up, but that didn't stop a whole bunch of people from reporting it. I'm glad the, the police did this because they have serious problems to deal with with violence and car thefts and carjackings. This was noise that distracts from the actual serious problems Cleveland is facing. So I'm glad they cleared this up and laid it out there. Nothing punctures a sensational story like the truth. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for Thursday. Come on back Friday when we're wrapping up the week. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, everybody who listens to this podcast. (laughs) 